The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Already rolling. Lots of conversation. And if if you want to jump in as we are breaking down a, a nice little review of a previous coaching cycle, then please offer your comments. We will get to them if we can. So, we have, in years past, gone three, four years back to, to reevaluate a coaching cycle. But what about in you know these years where a coaching tenure can get really dicey or be awesome? Let's go with immediate reaction. So coming up later, we're going to go through the, the 2021-2022 coaching carousel. All the coaches who just had year one this past season. And the simple question is, are we feeling better about the hire? Are we feeling worse about the hire or are we feeling the same about the hire? Uh, Reevaluating each of those coming up in just a little bit. We begin uh, with a, some transfer portal action. When Peyton Thorne hit the portal, we mentioned uh, a few SEC schools. Uh, we mentioned Florida. We mentioned Auburn. We mentioned other schools that might be in the mix. Peyton Thorne headed to Auburn. And I think we've also got TJ Finley hitting the portal. Did that also yeah. happen about the same time? Okay, so what do we make of the quarterback room for the Tigers heading into year one with Hugh Freeze, a tenure that we will reevaluate at this same time next year? No disrespect to Peyton Thorne, but if Peyton Thorne's coming in because that's how you felt about your quarterback situation, that is not 
best look for the quarterbacks that Auburn had. I know Peyton Thorne has been serviceable at Michigan State. Like He was much better two years ago than he was last season. And I know that Hugh Freeze has had a lot of success with quarterbacks of all various skill levels. So maybe he takes a step forward, and maybe that's probably part of the reason why he's chosen to go to Auburn compared to staying at Michigan State. But if I'm an Auburn fan, it's like, all right, cool. I've got a quarterback who we clearly think is an upgrade, but I'm not super excited about Peyton Thorne coming in and suddenly Auburn winning a whole bunch of games. I'm excited about Auburn this year, but not because of Peyton Thorne. Um, I mean, he he was like captain check down last year, which concerns me because they had a top 100 pick in Reed at receiver, and they had a guy who all these stud schools are out there really going after in Keon Coleman at receiver. So he's going to go from a very good receiver room at Michigan State to the worst receiver room in the SEC. And I include Vanderbilt in that, by the way, for Auburn. Like they, I don't think they have anybody good at receiver. I think their offensive line's good. He's a guy that's played a lot of football and – I think you have some confidence that he's not going to totally screw it up. The one thing, though, I think this lets you do, I'm not totally convinced Peyton Thorne is the starter. This does let you run the absolute heck out of Robbie Ashford, knowing that if he gets hurt, you have a guy who can come in you can still make a bowl game with. Before, I don't know if that was the case. With T.J. Finley? That if T.J. Finley has to come in and save, you're you're not going to have another Georgia yeah, State in your hand? I don't think T.J. Finley can play. Is Thorne a Jag or a Jag plus? Jag. Jag. I think Jag. I think so too. I mean, can but he, play he was to a, a Jag, Jag plus? plus. What's yeah, that? He can play to a Jag plus. I don't know. If he's got Kenneth Walker the third in the backfield or or like a run game, because that's where he was his best, right? I mean, they gave him a run game where he could work the play action pass. And even with all that, still uncompleted 60% of his passes. Now they were more of the play action pass, take your deep shot. So it wasn't a high percentage system. But I think it's a good I think it, like I'm kinda I think Tom said it like you're I think it's a good signing. Like I think it gives you depth at the position, but I don't think it's a guaranteed starter. I think he'll probably start. Gives you some depth, but I don't think it's like a massive, you know, win like all of a sudden is the win total moved. No. 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 Right. Well yeah, quarterbacks of this. No, there's is there such a thing as a jag minus? No, that's that's that would the be bench. bench, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. That's just a bad yeah. quarterback. That's he's not even a guy. The he's a walk on. Peyton Thorne, better downfield passer than Robbie Ashford, and maybe I'm short siding Ashford. I just remember times last year when he was in there, and the Auburn passing game was non-existent. Like it just wasn't even something that they could do. Now they had good running backs, and Ashford is a good runner as well. At, is, is there a little bit of a what do you want to do with your offense sort of split that you have if this is a competition in the fall? Yeah, they're they're not similar. Him and Ashford are not the same quarterback. So I would agree probably by default, Peyton Thorne is a better downfield passer than Rob Ashford. But I, yeah, it's it's kind of like Bud was saying. I, I don't think he's guaranteed starting role. And it's, like, it's going to depend what they want to do and situationally. I'm guessing you're going to see both of them. I'm guessing, depending on the situation that they find themselves in, you will see both playing quite a bit this year. I think he is definitely less erratic than Ashford is yeah. as a passer. I mean, like if, if that's what Freeze typically schemes up guys pretty open, right? That's one of the reasons why you hire this guy, despite the off-field stuff. You're like, all right, he does find ways to get guys wide open, and I think he needs somebody who will not miss wide open guys. And I do have some confidence that Peyton Thorne will hit those guys. So. 
Um, That's also part of not losing the game is not missing the layups. Like you got to hit those when, when they're there. Uh, one other quick transfer portal note. I uh, saw a comment in uh, in the chat from an Iowa fan because Iowa did land a commitment from Caleb Brown. Uh, so you're you're taking the Iowa passing game. You're injecting, you know, Cade McNamara, Caleb Brown at wide receiver. Uh, does this continue with the theme of Iowa potentially having a more dynamic offense? Do you believe in the excitement that Iowa fans are feeling? You also didn't mention Eric all. So, I mean, I think yeah. that from a passing perspective, like Caleb Brown was a very highly rated recruit out of high school. We didn't really see a whole lot of him at Ohio State because that depth chart is just ridiculous at the receiver position. So it was impossible for him to find time out of the field. But from a talent-wise perspective, yes. I- Iowa has upgraded significantly at those positions on offense. Well, not so much tight end, but receiver. They did not have anybody of Caleb Brown's talent level on that team last year. Charlie Jones could have been, but he went to Purdue. But that's kind of what it is. Like they didn't show any of it in the spring that we, people were able to see. But that's also a thing of is it just because they don't want to show it publicly? They want to keep it, you know, behind closed doors until the season starts? Or are they just still kind of going to be the same offense just with better talent? So, I mean, I think same offense with better talent is still an upgrade. It's just I, I'm still in a very much a wait and see kind of approach as to what I was going to be. My suspicion is they are going to look a little bit more, I don't know. I, I hate using the word, but more modern compared to what you have typically seen elsewhere. But I still think it's going to be Iowa, just with maybe four passing plays instead of two. <laughs> the, old, the old Tecmo Bowl special. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe Iowa's got some really good NIL stuff going. I don't know why you would go play in that offense if you're a receiver. Look, look, look what happened with, with Charlie Jones when he, went, when he went to Purdue, right? But I, it's hard for it to be worse. Right, so I'm, I'm new blood's good. Hey, listen, let's shake it up. All right, let's there, let's just change some things around here. If your complaint is that things are stale, let's bring in a quarterback. Let's bring in a wide receiver. Let's 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 you know change the expectations. I like it. I mean, it, that's that that's the thing about Iowa, though. Like, obviously, the fans want them to make the offensive upgrades. They've got the 25 points per game stipulation in Brian Ferentz's contract. But Iowa doesn't have to score that many points if it wants to have a really good season because oh. defensively we have seen how that program has been for years. So even if they're just like making slight adjustments and improvements, getting to 28 to 30 points per game, that team's going to win the West. It's going to be one of those – that's going to be a storyline to keep an eye on, the whole 25 points a game thing, kind of similar to the Tech A&M, who's calling the plays. Like, mm-hmm. every – like, and it was already uncomfortable when Brian Ferentz addressed the media before. Remember they asked him about this, and he's like, I don't care what the score is. If we're – you know, I'm going to still play to win. It's going to be interesting, like, if they have, you know, a lead and they just sit on the ball or do they try to score. Like, it's going to be something to keep an eye on. Listen, can we update every Saturday night or Monday with oh, their yeah. average? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, have I'm planning on a social tracker. graphic for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have an uh, Iowa points tracker. Like yeah, the, same. the likelihood of finishing averaging 25 points per game is like the win probability chart. And Danny, like you're saying, they ice, the, they ice it at the end of the game, and you're like, that was really bad for Brian. I got to tell you. Right. They could have punched in one more touchdown. It would. I know they would have won by nine instead of by two, but we could have at least gotten that average up so that uh, he could have hit his contract. There's, 
They're favored the in ten games. They're going to maybe try to run it up against because that's the other thing. That's when it gets uncomfortable. Like Utah State, they they don't have like a just complete blowout game though. That's the thing. Western and Michigan lost. Really do that. Western Michigan lost six defensive players to P5 transfers, so they'll hang a 50-burger on them like they tried to do with Nevada last year before that huge thunderstorm hit, if you guys remember that game. Uh, they'll they'll score a million points on Purdue if they can. Northwestern, if they can. Rutgers, if they can. I don't think Illinois' defense will be bad this year, uh, so probably not there. By the Nebraska, way, shout out to Bud for coming Nebraska. in with the, the Western Michigan notes. Somebody's in his Mac bag right now. <laughs> Somebody's doing his summer yeah. school research. I was, yeah. No, no, no. We, we, we like money. We're not putting Western Michigan on summer school. But, like, I, I, I did do some, some research. I, I, I'm putting this on the show now because I don't want anyone to steal the idea. So this is copyright, copyright, trademark, trademark. I am going to have, like, a, a tracker with, like, a magic number. Like, you know how baseball teams have to clinch a division? But it's going to be 300. And every time Iowa scores points, I'm going to take off of the 300. Because so, they have to score 300 points. That's 25 points per game. Yep. Oh, I got 300 club mm-hmm. Iowa Great offense idea. in 2023. <laughs> yes. um, we can do it for the like, show. They should, they should put 300 up like in the stadium, like on a sign, and then just like subtract the numbers for it. You know, the children's like, hospital. The kids <laughs> can go to the board and take the points off of the board. I do think we need to have an element, though, of <laughs> Danny waving by bye to friends. <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, uh, the children. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think we need to have some kind of element to this, though, where it's points scored versus like expected points we think you would need. Like, we're going to need to put, like, they're going to need six touchdowns against Western Michigan to get this. I'm fairly certain, right? So if they come out and they're like 28, like, yeah, that's above 25, bro, but you're way behind pace because now you're going to have some what you probably don't get nope. into the 20. That's a little too complicated. You can yeah, do that. Okay. All right. I'm going to do that on mine. But we just need the simple addition. But only the FB Instagram, These are children, I will have a vertical. Bud. A vertical <laughs> shot. Oh, man. All right. Coming up on the other side, we look back at last year's coaching cycle. Everyone's got a year one in the books. Are we feeling better about the hire than we did at the time? Worse or the same? We'll get into all that next. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus is down to the final four teams and it's two epic semifinal matchups. Kareem Benzema and defending champs Real Madrid take on Erling Holland and tournament favorite Manchester City in a rematch of last year's thrilling semifinal. Plus, it's a clash of Italian titans as Inter squares off against AC Milan in a battle for city bragging rights. Find out which clubs will reach the ultimate goal in soccer's greatest yearly competition. Stream every Champions League semifinal match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Try it for free at ParamountPlus.com slash live sports. Once again, that is ParamountPlus.com slash live sports. So do I root for the Italian teams even though they eliminated Napoli? Because they got yes. lucky and faced Napoli when Napoli was all banged up and injured. So I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I want to root for both the Milan teams to go win, but I think I have to. Yeah, because you've got the Scudetto. Like, if, like, because you've already got the title, you've got something that you can, you know, comfort yourself with for not getting yeah. that super big trophy. So, yeah, yeah, you just, just, just rep it for the Italians. And It'd plus, be good like, in Syria to have Napoli win the league and then one of the Milan teams win the Champions League. Yeah. Be good Without for Paramount Plus and CBS. So, yeah. Let's go. All right. We will begin. We'll go conference by conference here through the power conferences and then hit some of the notable um, notable group of five hires that stood out to us after year one. We begin in the Atlantic Coast Conference with four hires, and we're going to go ahead and hit Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame as well. So four out of the 14 full-time football-playing members saw a change. Now, we don't have divisions anymore, but – all four of these were in the ACC Coastal Division. Uh, we begin with Duke and Mike Elko. Mike Elko went nine and four in year one. Danny, are we feeling better, worse, or the same? I would hope we'd feel better, right? Oh. I mean, it was maybe one of the like. I, do is that? Did they exceed the win total by maybe more than? Most like I know there was Kansas and a couple schools where it was extremely low, but I would imagine that Mike Elko and Duke exceeded their win total just about as much as anybody else. And I think that's your barometer. But I mean, you got to feel super pumped with the job he did in year one. Yeah, better. And he's got a stud at quarterback now, where they're bringing back. My, by the way, how did they do that, Riley? Yeah, um, I can tell you. So what Mike Elko had a great line. Um, he said, uh, he was like, look, coming from where I come, where I came from, meaning Texas A&M, he was like, I know all about poaching rosters. And he was like, so what we did is we went to all of our guys before the process even started and said, look, here is what they're going to come and offer you. Here's what we can do for you. And he tried to give them all the information up front, right at the end of the season, right at the beginning of the process. And I don't know if there were any like runs at Riley Leonard, but clearly that message has worked because he's not going anywhere else. And he's going in, Riley Leonard's going into this fall as a top five quarterback in the ACC. And that is phenomenal. That is an incredible position for Duke football to be in. Now, nah, Danny, I'm with you. This is better. It seems pretty easy to me. Better. Like, I think we had a lot of reason to think Duke could make a jump last year. If you watched summer school and kind of read some stuff, it, Kind of that they kind of checked out on Cutcliffe the last year, and he was trying to get his guys some shine by coaching other positions than they normally coach. So it wasn't, it just looked terribly coached. Like Duke was probably not legitimately a top or a bottom 15 roster in the country 
in 2021. But still, winning nine games is, is really impressive. And like, I think he checks the box. Like, can this guy coach? Can he be a head coach? Because anytime you go from that coordinator to head coach jump at this level, that's a question we have to ask. And I, for me, he checked it. I think he utilizes that big stat they have pretty well. I'm same. Mm. Not that I thought Mike Elko was going to come in and Duke was going to win nine games a year. I'm not trying to take away from what they did last season. They had a very good season. They went nine and four. But Oh, you mean same. Like not same as us, but like same, no chance. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel exactly the same okay. way I did about the hire. Mike Elko was brought in. We knew his defense was going to be fine, but what, what was Duke going to be? What, what, what's Duke trying to be? Like it's not a team that's going to be competing for ACC titles. It's a team that they're trying to be solid. You're trying to be, you know, dependable. You're trying to get to bowl games. And every once in a while, in a year when the rest of the ACC is down, or, you know, like this year it was the division, they're going to put together a really good season. It just happened to be the first year. I don't think that Mike Elko is going to be winning nine games a season. In fact, I'd be shocked if they go nine and four again this year. I'm guessing they're going to be close to six or seven wins. And that's what I think Mike Elko's Duke is going to be. So, just because it happened in the first year, I'm, I'm not changing my estimation of what this program is or the job Oak was going to do. And I don't mean that as disrespect because, again, it was a very good season. It's just it wasn't completely unexpected. There's I some Satterfield that. here, you think? Mm-hmm. Like Satterfield, big year one. The numbers really didn't justify how good it was. The, the drop-off in year two was not as bad as people, as people thought it was, given the record. I could see that. So – both with respect for what you thought of Mike Elko coming in, but also a feeling that we could return a little bit, water finding its level and the like. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom going with some same on, uh, yes. on Mike so Elko. So like if, if they drop five and seven or six, six, I'm not going to be like, oh, actually he sucks. Now. It's like, no, it's, this is what I expected. Okay. Mario Cristobal, who went five and seven in his first year with the Miami Hurricanes. He has some recruiting success, obviously a top 10 class in this past cycle, some talented true freshmen already on campus. He was able to retain Tyler Van Dyke after a little bit of smoke uh, around his potential exit to the transfer portal following spring practice. He has hired a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, and several new position coaches. So one year later, are we feeling better, worse, or the same about Mario Cristobal? I think we're going to have a clean sweep here, gentlemen. <laughs> it might just what we might disagree on is the degrees. I, I'm going to go <laughs> a little bit worse, right? Like, what do we know about Cristobal when he came in? Excellent recruiter, poor game coach, hard to work for. A lot of his staffs turned over. They signed an awesome recruiting class. He definitely had some in-game gaffes. It's year one. I think he's going to get a ton of time to build it there. I definitely did not see them going five and seven last year. Part of that Van Dyke getting hurt didn't help. But mm -hmm. uh, I think you have to ding them a little bit because they whiffed on some hires pretty bad and some guys bolted off his staff already. So, But didn't we know that could potentially be an issue? The hard to work for or the in-game coaching? Yeah, yeah that, uh, that's why I'm saying it's just for and slight, like. I just, I just remember, you know, talking about Gaddis, who was the Broyles Award winner, and being like, well, he wasn't calling the plays really at Michigan. He wasn't in charge of that system. And here, like, I, I, I feel I'm with you. I'm slightly worse, not like just easy slam dunk, horrible, but I do give him credit for ripping the bandaid off with both sides and saying, you know what, this isn't working. 
You know, and Worse. I think we were all more reasonable on. <laughs> I think we were more all more reasonable on what they were going to be when the expectations were off the charts. Sorry, Tom. I was not reasonable. That's the problem. I bought in. Like I thought last year, Tyler Van Dyke. I was. I was talking all off season. How I was worried about Mario was going to do to Van Dyke what he did to Herbert. And that's exactly what he did. I, I saw my own demise coming. But I bought in. This is a team. You guys are talking slightly worse. Miami went two and five at home last year. And its losses were a 14-point loss to Middle Tennessee, a close three-point loss to North Carolina. It lost to Duke at home by 24. It lost to Florida State at home by 42. And it lost to Pitt at home by 26. How are you only feeling slightly worse? They had a horrible season. Nothing went good. I think normally, like, if a team quits on a coach, and they did, you got to fire the coach, except in year one. I think, like, because the roster turnover, it's not really your guys. Like, that's like the one year where it's acceptable for a team to quit on you because you're about to flip that thing. I don't think it's ever acceptable for a team to yeah. quit on the coach. Huh? I'm not trying to be like, it's well, in year one, it's all right. If it happens in year three, that's no, your team's quitting on you. Your coaches were quitting on you. None of this is good vibes. None of it. Not to say they can't come back. But my estimation or my expectation for what Miami is going to be under Mario Cristobal started about here, and it is down here right now, not even on the screen. <laughs> Do you remember? Telling, sorry, go ahead, Chip. Do you remember that we were going into the Texas A&M Miami game like both of these teams were something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Miami started the year in number fifteen. It was definitely top twenty. It was like fifteen, sixteen, or seventeen in the preseason AP top twenty-five poll. They finished not in a bowl game. Uh, that 17-9 to game against Texas A&M, obviously a loss that slipped away where they were just not able to get anything done. But the thing that is the most alarming to me is the quit on the team factor. And that's going to make me feel, this is a feelings episode, a lot of feelings here, but I feel much worse when a team loses three out of its final four games by 42, 30, and 26 points. I'm just, it. it is going to be, and this is what also brought me to this point, when we had to consider what Miami would look like if Tyler Van Dyke left, it was going to be bad. And then we're going to be dealing with two bad seasons in a row. Then I start to be like, okay, so what are my expectations for this season? And they're not going to even sniff ACC title contention. They were picked to win the ACC Coastal Division last year. We thought that Mario Cristobal was going to have Miami not right up in the national picture, but at least in the ACC, which has a lower bar in the top tier. And I do not have that expectation. I feel much worse. Not to say that it could not turn around, but it ain't happening in 23. And honestly, I don't even know if it's happening in 24. I'm going to be watching their recruiting class very closely. The one that they're working on right now, the 24 class? Yeah. Right now they have one four-star and six three-star commits. That's not the same level of juice they had last year. Ranking exchange, different kids commit. It's way too early to make a judgment on a class. They're not off to like a, a you know fire start so far. Mm. Be very interesting to see. All right, uh, Virginia head coach Tony Elliott, three and seven. Obviously, just like tragic and awful end to the season for Virginia. The on-field product, though, e- even prior to uh, the tragedy, was was not great. Kind of tough to wrap around uh, analysis that is fair both to the individuals in the program, but also being honest, you know, from our position. Better, worse, or the same? I might say same. My expectations weren't super high. 
for Tony Elliott at Virginia. I did not think it was going to be a home run, and I'm still very uncertain of what it's going to look like moving forward. There was a financial investment. Do you remember Tony Elliott was like coming down to like Duke and Virginia, mm-hmm. and then there was you know the potential million dollar. Yeah, deal, the, right. Yeah, got a got a big investment for the future of Virginia facilities, and so if they're going to do that, then I think he's got a little bit of a longer leash. So I, I'm the same on Tony Elliott. Trying to grade this and ignoring what happened at the end of the year, just trying to the first ten games before everything, you know, the tragedy at the end of the season. I'm still feeling worse. Not like significantly worse, but this is a team that before that happened had lost six of its last seven games, and its only win was a 16 to nine ugly road win over Georgia Tech. I don't know if you guys remember that game. It was a Thursday yes. night game. It was just an awful, awful, wonderful football game. But like losing to Miami last year in four overtimes, fourteen to twelve. <laughs> um, losing, you know, it's just, they they got blown out by Pitt by thirty. They lost to a bad Louisville team. They got blown out by Duke by twenty-one. They lost to a bad Syracuse team. They got blown out by Illinois by twenty-one. Offensively, this team, like the offensive line, was horrible, and you can't really. You know, because of transfers and that kind of stuff, it's it's hard to completely pin that on the coaching staff because there's only so much you can do when your offensive line stinks. But man, they didn't really seem to make any kind of adjustments as the season went along to try to counter what they were dealing with either. So I do feel slightly worse. Uh, definitely worse than when he was hired. The same as I felt in like July, August of last year. Uh, I, I thought he made some poor hires on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Kitchings, especially, just as a, the, every pass game he's associated with is is generally awful. So I, I couldn't believe he made that hire. And we heard some you know discouraging things about their recruiting, right? About how things would go. So uh, I mean, we were I was really really down on them to start the year, and they played even a little bit worse than I thought they were going to play. But like we we were, I, mean, I think we were we were all pretty skeptical right before the year. So slightly worse, I guess. I think it's worse. Um, I think it's worse now, but you know how bad it was at Clemson. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator, Mm. right? And, like, we look at that system now, and it got that bad at Clemson, and you brought that with you to Virginia with less talent, and you had a quarterback who was incredible, and then all of a sudden he looked not even average, below average. You know, like, so I don't want to say you ruined him, but – it's similar to Tyler Van Dyke, you know, like mm-hmm. massive expectations of what you could be. And you saw that regression. Um, I'm kind of worried about Tony Elliott, like long term. Like, is this a, you know, in another year, are we, you know, talking about? It? I was just with Rondé and Tiki Barber, a little na- name drop there, a little golf trip. And I was just asking them, and they were kind of expressing the same thing like, man, like, you know, where are we? And I think they're also concerned about NIL and the landscape of college football and how it's only going to get more challenging for Virginia. What does Virginia want to be? Like they are one of these programs and there are a lot of them in the ACC where you're having some tough conversations uh, among the, your boosters, your university leaders, you know, our, do we want to play ball? Do we want to try to, to keep up with, uh, with some of the other programs in our conference and across the country it, how they handle Tony Elliott probably is going to be at least a signal to us in terms of what their expectations are going to be. Brent I bet Pry. he gets it. I bet he gets at least four years. Mm. They seem lenient. Yeah, yeah. Brent Pry, 
three and eight year one, Virginia Tech personnel wasn't great. Better, worse, or the same? Same. Is it? I'm better. Really? Okay. Yeah. How? Yeah. Okay. Because he was so honest about how bad they were, and not in a way that indicated like he didn't know what to do. And he has seemed to have a very like clear eyed view. He's not, he's not trying to fluff this up and say that it's something that it's not. And I think that is great for Virginia tech football. And I think that he is going to be able to, if given a little bit of time, really build that thing out, not to where their Virginia tech of the, you know, late two thousands, early, what is the tens, the tens, I don't know. Yeah, the tens. Um, but I do think that he has that that right combination of connections in Virginia, connections to the you know Virginia football community. It's going to take some time to repair everything that went wrong with Justin Fuente. I just I like the way that he uh, I like the way that he addresses the status of his football team and the quality of his football team. And I think that 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 was something. It was a tough first season, but he seems to have pretty good spirits about it. I mean, he was honest, but. Did he go and do anything about it on the recruiting trail? No. One four-star, 26 three-stars. Maybe maybe you're a really, really good, really good scouting staff like an Iowa or an NC State or something like that. Potentially. But until I see that, I really can't give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't have any juice on the recruiting trail. Uh, so the season was, I think, on the lower end of – reasonable expectations like you could have seen three and nine they, they would have beat virginia i think so like you, you could have seen four four and eight right but the game got canceled obviously somewhere in there uh, i think missing a bowl was a reasonable expectation they did but they didn't really do much recruiting wise to, to compensate for it so uh, i'm a little bit lower until i see that they're really good at scouting and, and they're getting some of these three stars that maybe we should have had as four stars i'm gonna say worse I mean, you haven't had a three-win or worse season since 1992. Like, when you're historically bad. You know, like, I mean, and, like, when Fuente before you was getting at least five, six wins, and you're worse, like, I get you inherited. I get that's not what they want to be. But I think you always want to see at least the same level, not that much worse. Fuente did screw him. I will will go pry, like, the benefit of the doubt on that. Like, Fuente left them a bad roster. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. I just, it's, it's... difficult situation but i feel like you could also kind of maybe create it worse because for me like i don't know how you guys felt because you you guys follow the acc closer than i do but i kind of just checked out on virginia tech about halfway through the season i was like oh there's no need to keep watching this yeah oh no i still had eyes on virginia tech because it was the ultimate like don't lose to them team like nc state is playing virginia tech and almost loses you know Mm -hmm. um i think georgia tech Miami, like there were uh, Virginia Tech later in the year played like other teams played down to Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech at least like got up and threatened for an upset before oh, they beat Liberty. Ah, Li- but Liberty checked out on uh, checked out after the, the job interview process was completed. But um, yeah, it'll be it's a it, it'll be a year where I don't think Brent Pry is expected to make a huge jump but you would like to see some of those close losses against conference opponents flip to wins. That would be what I would say is my expectation to, to at least keep this thing going in the right direction. 
right. They, they need to be playing for a bowl game into November, right? Like yes. you can't you can't get to Halloween and be like, we're totally dead again. Correct. That is that's a very fair expectation. All right. Marcus Freeman, nine and four in year one. There were two really, really bad losses for the fighting Irish in 2022. But the rest of it wasn't that bad. Better, or worse, or the same for Marcus Freeman. I'm worse. And again, this is also kind of along the lines with Miami where I had much higher expectations going into the year, and that's more on me probably than anything, although we we were pretty blunt about our assessment of that offense going into the season. But I just losing losing at home to Marshall in your very first home game, not a great omen, doesn't mean things are going to work, but then a couple of weeks later losing at home again to a really bad Stanford team. And then after the season, your offensive coordinator leaves to go take the job at Alabama. Maybe that's what you wanted. I just, it's, I still think Notre Dame's going to be fine. I think they've made some improvements this offseason talent wise that'll lead to improvement on the field, but very much felt like a first year for a guy who's never been a head coach before, where he's kind of still learning on the job. And that's a tough place to learn on the job because the expectations are pretty high right from the jump. But they're recruiting well, and I still think long run, they're going to be fine. I'm going to go same and give give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I thought they would be better than they were. He did lose the, the starting quarterback, obviously, early. That hurt him. The backup was just not really playable. Uh, certainly not some super great coaching job on the field. Recruiting was still good uh, despite their record. They did whiff notably on the really super elite guys in recruiting, which is what Notre Dame fans in the comment section told us that they would be different, like he would get the guys that Brian Kelly – couldn't get. So a little miss on that. Uh, I'm going to ding him slightly for the internal promotion after seeing that offense, like not going out and getting somebody, I think, and, and promoting from in, from inside when you lost Tommy Reese. But I don't know enough to say it's a failure. It's just It's a concern. I have it kind of down as the, eh, we'll see how that goes. Is that really the offense you want to promote from internally? Uh, and then also, uh, I think you got to give him big time credit for going out and getting Sam Hartman to come because Hartman is, I think, a pretty high floor player. Like you generally no, he's not terrible and that's i think i can really help them i'm gonna say same i mean you still beat both the teams that were playing for the acc championship beating clemson's still a good win i know clemson's you know a little you know down compared to their standard but you still get some pretty good wins the losses are hard to excuse you know maybe that mental focus just wasn't there early you know but i think on the recruiting trail too he's been pretty solid you know, not outstanding, but solid. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say same. Coming up on the other side, we oh, sorry. Uh, I think I feel slightly. I'm worse to same. I might feel slightly worse, but I am also acknowledging that I was way overshooting. Like I was jumping on here, like this guy, he is gonna level Notre Dame up. Like I, I was drinking all of the Marcus Freeman Kool Aid. And so I feel worse, but it is like a same to worse where I'm acknowledging that I was just out way over my skis uh, on the first one. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to the Big 12. Brent Venables, Sonny Dykes, woohoo, and Joey McGuire. We feel better, worse, or the same after one year of that coaching tenure. Next. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, reevaluating coaches after year one. With a little feelings check, do we feel better, worse, or the same than we did at the time of the hire? Turning our attention to the Big 12, where Oklahoma coach Brent Venables had the absolute definition of a, of a mixed bag. Six and six regular season, six and seven after a bowl game, lost to Florida State. You had some quarterback injuries. You had a capital B bad blowout loss to Texas uh, in one of the most important games of the entire season. Picked up a couple of victories along the way. Are we feeling better, worse, or the same about Brent Venables at Oklahoma after year one? I'm going to say the same because I was not as high on the hire as some were because uh, I thought maybe there was some signal to the thing that he had never gotten these other head coaching jobs that had come open. But I think the guy was being patient, so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Six and seven, not a good year. They were uh, pretty unlucky in terms of some of their close game stuff. I think there's some chance he can improve as an in-game coach. They did put together a top four recruiting class in the country, which is really your job. It's get in there, figure out what you got, install your stuff, and you know let's let's go to work on the recruiting trail. They did all that. Now, I think I can't go higher because they lost a boatload of NFL talent off that team. That team was not devoid of talent, multiple NFL offensive linemen. But overall, I, kind of the same, I guess. Like, I thought they played to more of like an eight-win mark and had about two games of close luck, bad luck. Are we sitting here like really digging a guy that bad if they, if they go eight and five? I don't no. Know. No. I'm going to say... I'm going to say the same. I'm going to say it was – I would agree with Bud. Like, I think I was more reasonable. Their fans were so annoying last offseason. God, Remember yeah. the whole – I mean, so you annoying. You work with one. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. Um, but I think you have to look at how last minute it was taking Caleb Williams with him. Like, I get – why the fans were upset, but they almost overcompensated in like, this is our guy and we're going to not miss a beat and he's going to be better for us in the long run. And we were all like, slow your roll just a little bit. 
And I think staying this, I, I think they were, I feel the same about the hire. I think you still have to give it another chance, see how they do. I still feel good. Like he could be the long-term answer, but I just, you just gotta be, it was clearly a rougher team, but I think you always want to look at fight and they were calling me and they gave Florida state you know, a handful in their bowl game. Yeah. No, yeah, close, I'm, oh, go ahead. No, go. No, and they've crushed it on the recruiting trail. They, mm-hmm. they either won or they lost close. Obviously, mm-hmm. the blowout loss to Texas, but um, their wins 45 13, 33 to 3, 49 to 14, uh, by 10, 52 to 42, by 14, 27 to 13. But then your very, very close losses seven points to Kansas State, three points to Baylor, three points to West Virginia, three points to Texas Tech, three points to Florida State. Outside of Florida State, those were games where they fell short, like not only on the scoreboard, but probably like Bud had more talent then maybe except for Kansas state, obviously the eventual big 12 champions, but um, in very, very interesting sort of combination. I am slightly worse, but not by much. very, very, very small degree, but slightly worse. When we did our, how many games will Brent Venables coach in the sec ever? I, I think I was like, I don't think he's gonna get more than two seasons in the sec. They did get a hell of a quarterback, by the way. In this yeah. last class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, there's some chance that that makes me wrong on this. Yeah. I, I'm same to slightly worse. Like, I, they failed. Like, I didn't have the highest of expectations for year one to begin with. I, but I did not see what happened coming their way, but they did deal with a bunch of injuries. I just think they're probably still going to be okay. I just don't know if that program is going to be at the level it was at under Brent Venables than it was with like an Riley. So, and I feel like I got a little more set uh, skeptical about that too, just watching it last year. So slightly worse. And which is maybe the whole reason Lincoln Riley left because he knew what their ceiling was going to be and it, how hard it was going to be going to the SEC, which is why I went to the, you know, the PAC 12 and then he didn't realize they were going to the big 10. Oklahoma would, they're going to hate me for this. Oklahoma would trade for Lincoln Riley, right? If they could, after, yes. after watching year one at both places, like they, they would take him back and rather not have lost him. If they, they would put aside all the nastiness of the divorce. If they, they if they're honest with themselves, it. yes. But if they're Without honest, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, are there are there any slam dunk hires? Did we just all hit better with Mike Elko and we're just feeling slight de- degrees no, of worse? I was staying with Mike Elko. Oh man, I think there's some coming. Okay. Yeah. All, all right. Here down. we go. Here we go. Here we go. TCU head coach Sonny Dykes took over a program that went five and seven the year prior, and he took that team all the way to the national championship game. Thirteen wins in total. Not the not the exactly the most ideal performance against the Bulldogs in that title game. A historic title game loss. Better, worse, or the same about the Sonny Dykes hire at TCU. Than when the hire was made. Better. 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 Danny? And I bet that well, we all got to be better. Win the big 12 yeah, okay. big money. Yeah. Like, I think we were all bullish, but like Bud was really bullish. But I, but I think even with that, you've got to look and feel better about it after what we just saw that season. I wasn't winning 13 ball games bullish. Right. I was like, this is <laughs> I was like, this is a favorable schedule and they have decent talent. Maybe they can get to the title to the, the conference title game bullish, not the national title game. Like that was that was amazing. Um they continue to do a nice job in the portal. High school recruiting's picking up some. 
Dykes in Texas goes out and, and he you know he gets Kendall Bryles to replace uh, Riley who leaves for Clemson. I'm I'm definitely higher. Same. God, um, you're so uh, I same. Well, Man. here's what I thought. Sonny Dykes is going to come into TCU and he's going to be Sonny Dykes and he's going to do Sonny Dykes stuff. They had an incredible year. I know, but do you think they're going to win the Big 12 and get back to the playoff again? Or do you think they just had an incredible year in which they had a point differential of what? Let me check here. On the season in the Big 12, they had a point differential of 127 plus. That's good in nine games. Except 79 of those points came in two games. The win over Oklahoma in which Dylan Gabriel got hurt. And then the 38 or 40 point blowout win of Iowa State at the end of the season. Every other game they played was a one score game. There was a lot of luck involved. I'm not saying TCU has to give any of it back, but there was a lot of luck involved in a lot of their wins. They got beat by Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. They got blown out in the title game. They lose a bunch of dudes to NFL. I think TCU is at the level where they're going to just be able to replace all those. I'm not taking away anything that happened, but I think Sonny Dykes is a very good coach. He's going to have very good seasons at TCU. I'm not going to let that season completely skew my thought of what the hire is. It's, that's why you hired him, to score points, and hopefully things go your way. I think Sonny Dykes will win another Big 12 title, especially I once think. Texas and Oklahoma lead the league. Like, but this year, do you think he's going to win him every year? Do you think he's going to be like 2022 all the time? Or do you oh, think that's probably not. going to be – yeah. I mean, okay, so, so if, if TCU – let's call it like – let's call it a game and a half, two games of luck last year. Is that fair? Uh, for the scramble drill – Instead of 12 yes, and 0, 10 and 2. That's good coaching. Kansas. That That's was pretty good coaching, coaching to have your stuff ready to get out there. Yeah. Just, they were calm. But you're in that game. Why are you in that close of a game? Why are they always in close games? You got to the college, you got to the national title game. Was Georgia Man. playing a bunch of one score games? This guy's hard. Come on. Please. We're now we're gonna we're gonna Man. the way we've talked about TCU. All last year. Now we're going to pretend they were a juggernaut? Come on. Did the, White so- the White Sox lose again? Thomas Feisty. Is no, the White Sox won 17-4. to four, Thank you very much. Ooh, but okay. my only all point right, is, all, right. all last season, all of us were like, hey, yeah, TC is good. We're expecting this. They're not like a juggernaut. And now we're pretending they were a juggernaut. Our, our opinion has improved. They were so incredible. No. I, I think it. I feel better because I was not confident that Sonny Dykes was going to step in and be able to level up TCU and fix everything around TCU, right? I mean, you had a bad, bad situation with a locker room that was not feeling great about the leadership, and you were able to come in, and they've got a statue out of that man outside the stadium. It is real. I mean, it's a tough situation to come and manage, and you talk to people who want to come around the program, like where Gary Patterson was crazy and like super wound tight and wouldn't let anybody come see anything. Now, if if you go in, Sonny Dykes will invite you into the program. He'll walk you around. I think that at a TCU program that we should not forget was not in a power conference that t- too long ago, and a TCU program that operates in a school that is kind of a small community, I think the combination of Sonny Dykes laid-back attitude, and yet Texas Connections is perfect for TCU. And I think that like it's not just the memes of the Hypnotoad, but it is the willingness of being able to embrace stuff that is a little bit more fun just to keep the guys loose. It was great chemistry across that team, and I credit the head coach for that. 
I thought that Sonny Dykes could have Cal, Sonny Dykes Cal results at TCU, and now my expectations are up. I think that he is has TCU competing for a Big 12 title every three years moving forward in the future of the Big 12. Which is exactly what, are, what my expectations were. Same. I think he'll compete for the Big 12 title more than every four years. I, I think they'll be... I, th- I think they'll be pretty close to it. I mean, that's that's the best spot to recruit to in the new Big 12. They're going to have plenty of money because they went to the national title game and he's like a native son. When he goes to the boosters, I think they're going to say yes to him. Um, I think guys like coaching for him. I, there is value in getting lucky and being good and like having positive vibes and, and momentum that, that can start the ball rolling. I think some of these guys that we that we listed out today – are not bad coaches. They just kind of ran bad as far as bounces and stuff. And that can actually derail your tenure at a place. Danny, you did better. No questions. Better for sure. Yeah. Come on. Absolutely. Simpletons. All right. Let's, let's, let's see what Tom's uh, abacus says about this one. So Joey McGuire <laughs> stepped over to uh to Texas tech and goes eight and five in year one. Joey McGuire, lots of in-state connections. What do we make of uh, what do we make of the Red Raiders? What of Joey McGuire and the hire one year later? Same. Better. Oh, okay. Ooh, All right, go ahead. No, you go. You, you go. Right. Same. I want to hear your argument. All right. Uh, when a fan base like hypes a guy up like crazy, and then he does what they said he was going to do, it makes me. Like I'm usually going to discount what the fan base is going to tell me in year one because they all tell me that he's going to be awesome everywhere, right? Every one of these hires, the fans are like, "This is a great hire." You know, at LSU, absolutely should have hired Napier, and you know, Freeman's way better than Kelly, and all this other stuff, right? But they're not always right. In fact, most of the time, they're not fully right. And McGuire, I think, lived up to everything that Texas Tech fans hoped he could be and told us he could be. I thought he did nice in-game coaching to squeeze seven wins out of that roster. They win the bowl game, so. Uh, or they lose the ball game. I forgot, but like the seven and five regular season, and they beat Ole Miss in the Texas Bowl. Right, so so you get you get it. You, you win eight ball games. I thought he had really good like game management. Their recruiting is what they said it'd be very Texas focused. They're have a decent feel for who they can and can't get, and they don't they don't try to swing on guys they can't get. They try to get on certain guys they can get early. It's Texas Tech. Like you're not winning national titles there. Can you consistently go to bowl games? I think this guy probably will. And they have an identity. Like, now I know what Texas Tech is going to be like. They play really hard, kind of feisty on defense at times. They're not good. And they'll score a lot of points. I'll say better because I was dubious of what this hire was going to be like. Felt like he was like a rah-rah guy and was curious to see if what kind of substance was behind it. You have to consider, too, they won with quarterback, you know, shuffling because Tyler Shuck was hurt. Um, they had the young kid was Donovan, um, kid that struggled a little bit with interceptions, you know, so he was had a little turnover bug and I mean, it was as much as I like, I was, I was doubtful because I don't like when the boosters come in with the power play and they force somebody out because they have their guy and they want to make it. So I came in a little bit negative on the hire, but I'm way more optimistic. So I'll say better. 
I'm, I'm saying simply because if I break down what happened here, like they got overtime wins against Texas, Oklahoma, which is huge. Like if you're just tech and you beat the Longhorns and the Sooners in the same season, you're going to be feeling pretty good about your year as long as those aren't the only two wins. But other than that, like they lost to Kansas State, they lost to Oklahoma State, they lost to Baylor, they lost to TCU. They kind of played at their level where they were winning the game you expected them to. And yes, the Texas, Oklahoma wins were big, but I don't know, was was Quinn in that Texas game or was that a Hudson card start? I'm pretty sure that was Hudson card. Correct. 37, 34. It was uh, right after the Bama game, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was a Hudson card start and you beat Oklahoma at the end of the year and Oklahoma had a down season. So you took advantage of them. It's just, I feel like they played to their level, which for Texas tech is kind of what you're hoping for. It's to go along the same lines of what I was talking about with Duke. Like Mike Elko had a much better record after the first year, but he kind of, did what I expected. I think this is what Texas Tech is going to be. Now, maybe once Texas and Oklahoma leave, Texas Tech can find a few more wins on the schedule in the new Big 12 with the new AAC and BYU teams coming in. But I think that that's just, you know, they they had the season I expected, so same. Texas Tech has an identity. I totally agree, bud. And that identity, to quote Tom Fernelli, is the pain in the butt team. Mm -hmm. They are the pain in the butt for every single Big 12 team. It is not going to be fun. They are explosive offensively, and they are, as Bud mentioned, going to be playing really, really hard along the way. Um, I'm better. Yeah, I, you you show up to Texas Tech, a place where you can just sort of get floundered and washed away in kind of that 5-7, and 4-8 and eight kind of world. And I, I think just having an identity, knowing who you are and what you do helps on the recruiting trail, and it helps on Saturday in – what is always going to be in the Big 12, just bonkers games. Like there are going to be, if if you're really good and you know who you are and what you do, then you're going to be better in some of those pressure-packed games. I like Joey McGuire. I am better than uh, I am better than I was one year ago. All right, 54 minutes. We have only made it through two <laughs> If it's okay with you guys, we'll push the Pac-12, the SEC, and the G5s to Wednesday. That sound good? Yes, that works. Okay. Um, so in the pre-show meeting, we did say like a couple of these will be only a minute or two. I think we'll be fine. So we only imagine, we only over we we only missed this by like a hundred percent. Imagine this show not over talking. Kenny <laughs> did research and had a, had a list of G five guys to talk about after we get done with with all of them. Like that, that'll come like June fifth now. So we'll uh, we'll be back on Wednesday to be able to do our better, worse, the same for the Pac twelve, the SEC, and a couple of Group of Five spotlights and. I don't know how to exactly present this to you, so I hope that the intrigue is there. But we have an exercise which is called the college football dictator, okay? The college football dictator comes on Wednesday. You'll get to find out exactly what that means. Everybody talks about a czar. We need a commissioner. No, 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 no. We are allowing the hosts to be the college football dictator with the kind of ruthless moves that you might expect from an autocrat. So be sure to come around. We'll finish out our better, worse, the same for the Pac-12, the SEC, and the group of five. And we will you will find out what it means to be a college football dictator. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pennelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.
should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.